Open your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs 6. We are continuing our series of lessons on the, the Proverbs. Last time we were together in this series, we looked at Proverbs 5. And we looked there at what Solomon laid out as the dangers of immorality. Solomon had already given warnings about the adulteress all the way back in chapter 2. So he spends more time developing that in chapter 5. And he's going to spend even more time in chapter 6 and 7 talking about this adulteress even more. But there's also going to be some other advice that he gives here at the beginning of chapter 6 that we're going to look at as well. So there's going to be a little bit of overlap and some things that we have talked about, but certainly important for us to, to study through these and understand the wisdom <coughs> that Solomon is trying to impart uh, to his son. So let's look here at um, Proverbs 6, and we'll begin by looking at uh, the dangers of being a surety for your neighbor. So let's read a few verses, and we'll come back and define some words and and talk about what this means. In Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, My son, if you have become surety for your neighbor, having given a pledge for a stranger, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, have been caught with the words of your mouth, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself. And importune your neighbor, or importune your neighbor. Do not give sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. <coughs> this word surety means a person who takes responsibility for another's performance or undertaking. For example, they're appearing in court or payment of debt, and we, we know what a surety is if we put it in a little bit different terms. You've probably heard the term cosigner. If you ever had a cosigner or been a cosigner or had a cosigner with you, um, they take on the responsibility, the liability of the debt that you have taken on. So that's what, what Solomon is talking about here when he's talking about being a surety. And that makes us, if we were to, to be that surety, that co-signer, it does indeed make us liable for that debt. You take it on just like um, that person who borrowed the money would. You're just as liable, just as responsible for that debt as they are. And Solomon here is counseling his son to, to get out of that situation. If he's, if he's found himself in that situation, he's counseling him to get out of it. He says there in verse 3, Do this then, my son, and deliver yourself. Since you have come into the hand of your neighbor, go humble yourself and opportune your neighbor. He's telling him to get out of that situation. Implore the neighbor to release you from this. And he says in verse 4 there, (coughs) uh, To not even sleep before you do so. It says here in verse 4, do not give sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Don't waste any time. If, if you're in this situation, you need to get out of it. And he, and he talks about also there in verse 5, deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand. 
you know, like game would escape the hunter. You need to get out of this situation. And why is that? Why, why is this uh, being talked about in this way? Well, you can, uh, you can make your conclusions from this and understand that it's probably not a good idea to be in that situation. If you're going to lend money, then lend money. And do so and walk away from it, not expecting necessarily to ever be repaid for that debt. That's okay. If you have a brother who's in need, or if you come across uh, a stranger who is in need, give them the money and go about your business. But don't take on that liability. Um, that person who's taking that on, you, don't, you may not necessarily know all the facts about what's going on, what, what liability they're incurring, or what their probability of paying back that debt might be. You make yourself liable for all of that. Better to just lend the money and be on your way. So there's a danger here in being surety for your neighbor, as he spells out here in verses, <coughs> verses 1 through 5. It goes on here in verses 6 through 11, probably a familiar passage to us, probably one that we've referenced in, in lots of different ways, but basically the message here is don't be lazy. If we read there in verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, uh, officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provisions in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Solomon uses the example here of the, of the, of the ant to demonstrate the proper work ethic. The ant that he's calling to mind here, under no compulsion of, of any kind of ruler, of any kind of king or any kind of council or chief, what does she do? She prepares her food, she harvests her food, and she stores it. She doesn't need any, anybody to tell her that. She just does that. That's the ethic that's, that's built into the ant. And so we see someone being wise and being... Um, fruitful and being diligent in their work. What's the contrast of that? The contrast is the sluggard. Go to the ant, O oh sluggard. The sluggard sleeps long and sleeps late. He revels in his laziness. If you look there in verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. That sounds very poetic, doesn't it? Sounds pretty nice, doesn't it? But in the context here, he's talking about someone who is more interested in sleep, more interested in resting, rather than being diligent about their work. But there's a reckoning coming. There's going to be consequences for that long and late sleeping. When there's a need, there's going to be nothing. If you look there in verse 11, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need uh, like an armed man. What happens when an armed man comes after your goods or, or wealth? He's not going to stop, is he? He's going to come in suddenly and take what he needs. That's going to that's gonna be you when you realize that you haven't put away anything, when you haven't stored up from your harvest. 
There's no stores from the harvest. There's nothing there that's, that you can draw on. Why? Because you're more interested in the rest. More interested in the sleep and the slumber and the folding of the hands. There's similar thoughts in Proverbs. If you look over in, in Proverbs 10, verse 4. Proverbs 10, verse 4 it says, Poor is he who works with a negligent hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Also look over in 13, Proverbs 13 and verse 4. <coughs> the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the soul of the diligent is made fat. And also in Proverbs 20 and verse 4, all of these are verse 4s. Proverbs 20 and verse 4. The sluggard does not plow after the autumn. So he begs during the harvest and has nothing. We see in these examples the, the contrast here of the, the diligent versus the sluggard. The diligent is the one who has put in the effort, who has planted the seed, has harvested, has stored up, so that when there is need, there's something there. The sluggard hasn't done that. So when there is a need, the sluggard has nothing. So Solomon here is, is counseling his son don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Look at, look at the ant. If you need to know how to live your life and be diligent in your work that you do, look at the ant. Don't be given to rest. Don't be given to sleeping long and late. Solomon then goes on here to talk about um, the idea of being aware of the worthless man. If you look here in verse 12, it says, A worthless person, a wicked man, is the one who walks with a false mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil continually, who spreads strife. Therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken. There will be no healing. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that divides wicked plans, feet that run, run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and the one who spreads strife among his brothers. The next section here is to, is to beware of the worthless man. And this is the man <clears throat> whose main purpose it is, is to deceive. If you look there, uh, the way he goes about, the way he moves, says that he walks with a false mouth that he winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his fingers. When, you, when I read that, I thought about, what would I call that person? If I had to give a name to that person, I'd call that person shifty. Have you ever met people that are just shifty? A wink here, a nod here, you, you kind of just get the idea that they're up to something. And I think that's the kind of person here that Solomon is describing. Walks with a false mouth, winks with his eyes. Here's a person whose his whole body language, his whole being, he's just out to deceive people. He's shifty. Verse 14, it says that this person has perversity in his heart. He's always planning evil. And notice what he says there at the end, that he spreads strife. 
the list there, things that are in verses 16 through, through 19, the seven things that God hates. Notice what it says down there at the, at the end of that list, in the end of verse 19. This is the last, the last one on the list, the seventh thing that God's hate, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So this seven um, things that, God's hate, that God hates really speaks to the person that he's describing here, beginning in verse 12, this worthless person. And notice what he says. God hates these kind of people. God hates someone who spreads strife among the brethren. Not forbids, not is irritated by, surely he forbids this kind of action. It doesn't say that God is irritated by this, or, or God is annoyed by this, or God takes no pleasure in this. It says God hates this. These things, these kind of activities, these kind of characteristics are an abomination to God. He hates these kinds of things. We have warnings in the New Testament also about these kind of people. Look over in Romans chapter 16 for just a second. <clears throat> We're warned against these kind of people in the New Testament also. In Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, it says, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teachings which you have learned and turn away from them. Verse 18, for such men are slaves, not for our Lord Christ, but for their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. There's that word again, deceive. Their smooth talk, their flattering language, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. This speaks very much just like this person is that Solomon is describing back here in Proverbs 6. Look over also in Titus 3. <clears throat> in Titus 3, verses 10 and 11, similar language. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and, and is sinning, being self-condemned. Similar language, similar kind of person here, isn't it? This is a factious man. This is a man who sows strife among the brethren. This is one who spreads strife, who's out to deceive. And he does so with all these things that have, that have been talking about here. With his false mouth, with his winks of his eye, the signal with his hand. And God hates this kind of person. He hates these kind of activities. Haughty eyes, shed in, uh, hands that shed innocent blood, a, a heart that devises wicked plans. This person is out to deceive people. And the warning here is very strong. Verse 15, it says back in Proverbs 6, tells what will happen to this person. It says, therefore his calamity will come suddenly. Instantly he will be broken and there will be no healing. There is reper repercussions for someone who behaves such as this. God says their calamity will come upon them suddenly. They'll be broken and there will be no healing. Have to beware of this kind of person. Those who sow strife among the brethren, and they're everywhere. We have to be on guard for them. 
In the next few verses here, there's, there's sort of an interlude in verses 20 through 23, and also again over in chapter 7, verses 1, and five, 1 through 5. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. There's a bit of an interlude, and it's an interlude to remind his son to listen to what's being said. So here's this wisdom that Solomon is, is pouring out. And he gets to verse 20. He says, My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. Um, and when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandments is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Here's the, the same kind of refrain that is throughout the Proverbs. Listen, my son, listen to what I'm telling you. Hear what I am telling you. We've looked at this kind of language before, and it, and it regards the, the value of wisdom. There's value in what I'm telling you here. This wisdom is going to guide you through life. I love the language there. He talks about, um, about this lamp around your neck. Um, verse 23, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. This is you know, that light that, that lights your way. This is important. This is good for you. Over in Proverbs 7, here again is, a, is, a, is an interlude. Beginning of verse 1, it says, My son, keep my words and treasure my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. And my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And call upon understanding your, inti and call understanding your intimate friend. That they may keep you from an adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. Here he speaks of having this, this close relationship with wisdom. He says, wisdom, you are, make wisdom your sister. Make it your intimate friend. Both of these interludes speak of, uh, like we've mentioned, the value of wisdom. How wisdom can guide you in your life and make your life better. And they also, both of these interludes lead into the warning against the adulterous woman, which is the next section back in chapter 6. It's going to begin here in verse 24. This adulterous woman, like I said, began this discourse in chapter 2. Uh, again in chapter 5, Solomon talks about it. So now here in chapter 6, there's more talk about it. And in chapter 7, even more. So this adulterous woman, why is there so much time spent talking about this kind of this kind of sin. Well, it must be important. And it is. And we've talked about in previous lessons about how adultery impacted Solomon and his father David. So there's some good reasons why this is being so emphasized. But here in verse 24 of Proverbs 6, he's, as he's mentioned there, this is, I'm telling you these things. Why? To keep you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her catch you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? 
Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet be not scorched? So is the one who goes into the na- his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. But when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He would destroy himself. Uh, He who would destroys himself. Wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will be not blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not be spared in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom nor that he be content, though you may give him many gifts. This adulterous woman that she entices with her speech, with her beauty, and with her eyes. And you can't expect to get that close to this kind of temptation without getting burned. He mentions there in verse 27, Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not get burned? Or can he walk on hot coals without expecting his feet to get burned? There's the warning right there. Don't get close to this. Stay away from it. The one who takes his neighbor's wife is in for a whole lot of trouble. Now maybe sometimes those who steal food because they're hungry, we might can understand that a little bit better. And he says here, Solomon says, the men do not despise a thief who steals to satisfy himself. But still there is a there's a repayment that is expected. When he's caught, it says he must pay back seven times what he has stolen. But even that, we can understand that a little bit more. The man was hungry. But the one who would commit adultery, he says there in, in verse 32, he says he's lacking sense. His sin is not going to be forgotten. And we can understand that often because of what comes out of such a relationship. We see that with David and Bathsheba and the child that she bore. There's consequences for these kind of relationships, this this kind of um, sinning. You steal the bread and you you eat it and you go on your way and you pay back for what you have stolen. In adultery, there's much more consequence than that. It says his sin is not going to be forgotten. And still, um, even after all that, look what he has to deal with. He has to deal with a jealous husband. And he speaks there at the end of, the, of, of Proverbs 6. He says this, this husband's never going to accept any kind of repayment. Verse 34, for jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be content, though you may give him many gifts. The one who has stolen the food to satisfy his hunger, he may be forced to pay back sevenfold. What are you going to pay back the, the husband of the wife that you've committed adultery with? What do you think is going to satisfy him? Solomon says he's never going to be satisfied. We can understand that. That's why he says there that the one who commits adultery is lacking sense. They haven't really thought this through. Haven't really understood the consequences for what it is that they're about to do. So after the interlude there in 
in Proverbs 7, we come down to verse 6. In verses 6 through 23, Solomon is, is de describing an affair between a married woman and a naive young man. And again, this young man, this naive young man, is described as lacking sense. Let's read there verses uh, 6 through 23. It says, For at the window of my house I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive, I discerned among the youths, a young man lacking sense. Passing through the street near her corner, and he takes the way to her house in the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him. And with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today I have paid my vows. Therefore, I have come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly. And I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens from Egypt. I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink and fill our love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For the man is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. At full moon, he will come home. With many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. So he does not, all, uh, he does, uh, not know that it will cost him his life. Here's this affair that's been described. And I, I, I point this out again. A naive young man who is lacking sense. Verse 19 says, For the man is not at home, he has gone on a long journey. Your translation may say their husband. For the husband is not home. It's very clear what's going on in this story. The husband has gone away. And the wife is out, for lack of a better term, walking the streets. That's what it says. She's in the streets. She's in the squares. She's dressed like a harlot. And she entices young men. He describes their encounters. She's just sneaking around at twilight and at night. And she entices him by this dress that she is wearing. She grabs him and kisses him. She adorns her bed with fine linen and sweet-smelling spices. And what happens to this naive young man who is lacking sense? He falls into the trap. And what happens because of this? Verse 22 and 23 describes the consequences, describes what happens so clearly. Suddenly he follows her as an ox goes down to the slaughter. Or one who is in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver as a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. The consequences are dire. And just like that poor ox doesn't know that he's going to the slaughter, this naive young man doesn't really know what he's getting into. He's been enticed by this woman and is going down to his death. Then verse 24, Solomon 
again, he begs his son to listen to what he is saying. He says, now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. And do not let your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down and numerous are her uh, are all who are slain. Her house is the way of Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. All this enticing, all that's going on in this, all the temporary pleasure, it only leads to death. Kind of makes us understand why he spends so much time talking about this, doesn't he? All the pains that are associated with this kind of relationship. we have here in Proverbs 6 and 7, it's more instruction. Solomon is telling his sons here not to be the cosigner, not to be the surety of his neighbor, not to be lazy, and to beware of the worthless man, beware of worthless people. And he also, again, stresses to him to beware of the adulterous woman. He spends a lot of time talking about this adulterous woman, and for good reason. He also spends time talking about the kind of people that his sons need to avoid. The applications for us are, are evident. These kind of people, as we've mentioned, we still need to avoid the kind of people that's being discussed here. We still need to make sure that we keep an eye out for that factious man. We need to make sure that we are being diligent with our money, not co-signing and not getting ourselves into any kind of unreasonable debt or liability. We don't need to be lazy. We need to be diligent in the work that we do, not sleeping long and late, but rather getting up and getting about the business of the day, storing up so that there's things there, there's, there's resources there when we're called upon. We need to be aware of that adulterous woman. Make sure that we are being true to our spouses and the relationships that we have. A lot of things to learn here, isn't there? We really just kind of scratched the surface. We'll continue in our studies in Proverbs. I hope this has been encouraging to you. Our charge is to understand the wisdom that is put before us. And to keep seeking after those things that are above. Keep seeking after God's wisdom. We offer the invitation here at the close of our time together. As we do every time. If you're not a child of God. and You have wondered about it. And you need further study. We can help you with that. We can study with you. We can sit down and open God's word. And look there and see what it says that's required to become a child of God. And if you're a child of God and you're not living the way you should and need the prayers of the congregation, you can let that be known also. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.